Hey everyone, welcome to Turn Up the Valium. This is Jess Garzone and Brittany Starling. And today our guest is Dylan Atkinson. Hi Dylan. Hi, thanks for having me on today. Thanks, thanks for, for coming. Joining. So what company are you with and what is your function? Sure. So I'm the Market Access, Value Access, and Payment Fellow with Bristol-Myers Squibb. Wow, that is a mouthful. I, I like to think so. <laughs> <laughs> but it rolls off the tongue the way you say it. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> so we'll get right into it. Dylan, where are you from? Uh, I'm originally from Langhorne, Pennsylvania. So uh, I went to school out at the University of Pittsburgh and You'll find that if anybody is, let's say, two hours east of Pittsburgh, they are from outside Philadelphia. So I'm from outside Philadelphia. <laughs> I see. So how's Jersey treating you? You know what? It, it feels like being home, kind of. Uh, I grew oh. up like uh, Langhorn is located right by the border, kind of very close to Trenton. So Jersey has kind of always been there. It's it's taken me a little bit to get used to driving in Jersey <laughs> again. It, you know, it's it's been going well so far. Awesome. Yeah. I moved here from North Carolina and the driving, I was... Now, if someone's not like riding right on my tail, I'm like, what am I doing wrong? What's going on? What am I missing? Yeah, you definitely learn to be aggressive. So I guess you have no other choice. What made you want to go to pharmacy school? That's a great question. So I originally was going to go for chemistry because I thought, hey, how cool would it be to be a chemist? And I didn't really know what that meant. I just know that I enjoyed valence electrons and mixing things together. A friend of mine once said that that kind of aspect of chemistry is a lot like cooking, but it's just more dangerous. So that, that's kind of what I was looking to do. And then at Pitt, we actually had this organization called RX prep and I'd done a little bit of research in a pharmacy and I, I decided hey I'll, I'll go to this RX prep see what pharmacy is all about and the room was packed like there were just people everywhere and all I kept thinking was you know there's got to be something to this so I looked more into it I, I saw like what you can do with the PharmD how, how the opportunities are really expanding and I like to consider it Irish guilt but I've always had this like I want to help people and I want to help populations of people as best as I can so I figured this was a good medium to, to kind of hybrid the chemistry and the kind of wanting to help people together. I have not heard of Irish guilt before. What oh, is that? Yeah. I don't really know how to describe it besides <laughs> my mother once coined the term to me and it's basically you just always feel guilty about whatever it is you do. So I don't know. Can't win. Yeah, exactly. You, you know, know it, it came down to my number one strength finders was an includer and that's why I, I always say, you know, that's my Irish guilt. I'd feel bad if I wasn't bringing everything to Oh, the this table. is like the top like five strengths. Yeah. The strength. yeah, yeah this is actually we did my that too. One. Yeah. Did you have woo? I did. So woo is like the ability to, well, you should explain it. It's one of your strengths. You should explain it. <laughs> so woo actually stands for winning others over. And it's kind of when you walk into the room, you have the ability to, even if it's somebody that you've never met, you kind of get them on your side. Uh, I was very off put when I first saw it on my top five because I was like, that sounds kind of manipulative. But uh, when you really embrace it as a, it's just your personality, it's not necessarily that you're going in with an agenda. It's just, you know, you're, you're talking to people, you're making new friends, basically, and you kind of have a, a knack for walking into a room and, and acting like you're supposed to be there. Wow, so. yeah, you definitely have that. I think one of the reasons that Brittany and I wanted to interview you or have one of our first interviews with you is you have so much charisma. Oh, um, Dylan kind of helps run our PDD, our Professional Development Days, as part of our Rutgers program. You're definitely such a natural speaker. Okay. Win, win us all over. For those of you who are listening, you can't see it, but I'm turning just as red as my hand. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate it. So if you thought woo was a bad strength, I actually think woo is a great strength. I had significance as one of my strengths, which oh. is basically like you want other people to think you're important which is pretty embarrassing maybe why i am on a podcast now but. so in pharmacy school did you know that you wanted to go into industry and do a fellowship or absolutely not uh so when i started pharmacy school my idea was i wanted to get my pharm d and then get my md and i wanted to be a super doctor oh. uh and then as the story goes we had our standardized patient finals our first year needless to say it didn't go well i remember i walked in and i dropped something and i bent over it and like eight pens fell out of my jacket <laughs> I stood up and then I asked the same question twice in a row after they'd answered it. I think I said, that's pretty baller at one point to the patient. So I very quickly realized, you know, patient, 
patient care face to face like that isn't necessarily for me. Um, and I, I, I slowly began to get more and more interested in population and population based um, care is really kind of where I, I fit in. Um, I get it. I started getting involved a lot with like the managed care sort of things, developing different policies, getting involved on the local level and the federal level with different state and federal policies and things like that. And that that's kind of where my passion was for a little bit. Uh, but there, there was always that kind of aspect of how can I make this into something to make sure that people have access to whatever the care is that they need. So kind of building off of that, I, I found out a little bit more about some of the industry fellowships and I figured, hey, you know, why not? I might as well give it a go. It, it, it seems like it's interesting. The more I read about it, the more I talked to people about it. It's once again, back to why I started farms school there's all these people there so I'm like hey there's got to be something to this and the more I found out about it the more I was like this is somewhere I can I can definitely see myself working. And can you explain exactly what your fellowship is focused on? It's kind of unique in that it's actually four separate rotations over the course of two years so right now I'm in channel and patient access support services specializing in reimbursement and affordability within our immuno oncology uh, line of products and basically I, I really like that because it's very close to the patient yeah, we, you know we deal a lot with dealing with payers and CPT codes and J codes and things like that but at the at the same time, everything we're doing is ensuring that after a treatment decision has been made, there's no barriers to, uh, to accessing a medication that a patient could need. And whatever that may be, whether it be something with some sort of reimbursement and affordability issue. And then from there, I'll be um, going more into a, a pricing and contracting role or on our state and federal payment agency side. So those are the next two that I can kind of be looking at. State and federal payment agencies is dealing a lot with like Medicare, Medicaid, Part D, 340B pricing and things like uh, that. You'll have a lot of uh, interesting things to work with in oh, the coming year. Oh, yeah. And then uh, pricing and, and contracting. Contracting, you know, looking at like value-based contracts, kind of how the, the different pricing models come to be. And then I, I ran it all off with oncology payer marketing. So those are the, the four big ones that I'll, I'll be kind of rotating through. I'm curious to know. I know that one thing that people criticize a lot about Medicare is that they can't negotiate for drug prices. What are your thoughts on that as someone in that specific niche area? It's an interesting question. And it's, it's a question that I go back and forth with a lot. The thing that I always think about is, you know, Medicare by statute has to get the best deal that's available. So if you really let them negotiate drug prices, it kind of opens up this can of worms that are they still going to get the same deal that they were getting before? Because right now they're guaranteed to get the best deal out there. So I, I don't really see it, it causing much of a change. I mean, it, it's it's one of those things that by saying that Medicare can now negotiate this sort of thing, it kind of gives more leverage to all of the different stakeholders. And there's no saying where, where kind of the that price point is going to go, how much it's going to cost and things like that. So right now, I, th I think it works and that Medicare does get the, the best deal out of anybody. So And it's written, written that way. So. Cool. What do you think made you a strong candidate for a fellowship? The way that I kind of see it is I didn't have any industry experience coming into this, but what I did have was I had experience in everything that touches industry. So I, I managed to um, work very closely with like a PNT committee for a little while. I worked at the Idaho State Board of Pharmacy, which was totally random, but it was incredible. I worked with the FDA, the Pharmacy Quality Alliance, developing quality metrics with a hospital health system, with the health system formulary management, and with a GPO IDN kind of throughout my time in pharmacy school, as well as with some nonprofit organizations. So kind of everybody who touches industry without actually getting the, the necessarily industry experience. So I, I think for me, what it was, was having this kind of wide breadth of different experiences. I mean, this is four different rotations that I'll be going through over the course of the two years. So kind of having, you know, a little bit of everything, I guess, kind of melded into one to kind of think about things from a little bit of a different angle than normal kind of setting apart. 
Cool. And I wanted to ask, what did you do at the State Board of Pharmacy? I mean, I haven't heard anyone who had experience <laughs> with the Board uh, of Pharmacy. That's always the one everybody asks. Idaho? Yeah, I, I never, never, ever thought that I would live in Idaho for, for five weeks. <laughs> it's um, beautiful, though, right? It's it really is. nice. It, it was. Yeah. I, I was living in Meridian and working in Boise, and it was incredible. Like Everybody does stuff outdoors, which is great. But, like, I live in the Northeast, and I have very, very, very pale skin. So it was took a little bit of time <laughs> getting used to it. But basically, I, as the story goes, I spent some time in, in D.C. through a different organization and internships and things like that. And I managed to meet somebody who was with one of the associations who ended up leaving his position there to go become the executive director of the Idaho Board of Pharmacy. And at the time he came and he spoke to the University of Pittsburgh. We have these kind of like PDD where we have guest speakers come in. And he said, you know, we, we'd love to get some students out there who are like passionate about policy and regulation and stuff. And sure enough, I'm the guy that loves putting pen to paper for <laughs> policy and regulation. So I was like, yeah, of course. And I already know the guy. This will be great. Absolutely incredible experience. This is my like claim to fame is I got to author a bill that has been introduced and passed and is now part of Idaho State statute. Wow. So, it, so uh, cool. it expanded pharmacist prescriptive authority for TB testing. That's so. awesome. Wow. That's great. It's really great to hear people who are like advocates for the pharmacy profession. That's really cool. So do you see a career in politics in your future, possibly? Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, there, there are way too many <laughs> external factors of that one. Uh, I'd like to check out the private sector first. So you serve as the PDD co-chair. Yes. Do you want to explain to candidates that are listening what PDD is? Yeah. So uh, PDD is a very kind of interesting way to bring all the fellows together. So every other Thursday we get together and every fellow has the opportunity to present. So they'll present either in a focus uh, area that they, they work in or something that they're very interested in. And they have the opportunity to present to all the other fellows to help the other fellows really understand kind of that aspect of the pharmaceutical industry or something that's happening in healthcare kind of around that. And then we also bring in some high level executives, some some key people in kind of the pharmaceutical field or even throughout healthcare to kind of get them to present and talk about their career paths, you know, important things that they see their experience with different PharmDs and their programs and things like that. But it's it's a great opportunity to meet new people because if you think about it, you're you're working most of your days at your, your partner company. This is really your time to come together with all the other fellows and, and get to know them and build your network, really, while also learning a, a whole lot about the, the industry. And what do you do as the PDD co-chair? What are your main roles or responsibilities? Yeah, so, so with the PDD co-chair position, it's a lot of uh, kind of coordinating, making sure that, that the, the scheduling lines up and everything that everybody who is presenting has everything that they need, kind of reaching out to find new engaging speakers, kind of getting a feel for what everybody would like, putting together different workshops, identifying needs for the fellows, whether it be, you know, if, somebody, if the second years are getting ready to look for a, a position, kind of, you know, maybe like a, a networking etiquette sort of reception or something like that, kind of brainstorming that kind of stuff and trying to see that come to light. In addition, at the actual PDDs, it's kind of like a master of ceremony. So you get up there and you get to have all the fun because you get to ask the first question since you're holding the microphone <laughs> and help kind of facilitate some discussion of, around each of the topics that comes up. Did you attend PDD as a student? I did. I actually went to one of the PDDs as a student. For candidates listening, anyone is welcome to attend PDD. So if you think you might be interested, it's a really great opportunity to meet people and kind of see what the program is about. Definitely. And like Dylan said, there's so much useful material that you learn. For example, I think my one of my favorite PDDs was we had a financial advisor come in. And for me, I had been thinking about, oh, so should I get a financial advisor? I don't really know what to expect or what to think about it. And it was pretty useful. It was really helpful. I actually was really dreading that, but it, he was really good. I, he was interesting and the advice was good. And that was, yeah, I, I think a lot of the speakers have been really good. And going to PDD as a student, is that what kind of made you want to be the PDD committee chair or what made you decide to do that one? So a little bit of my past experience and the experience that I had as a student going 
in there. I was very involved with a lot of different organizations throughout pharmacy school, and I loved kind of giving presentations and kind of trying to engage people in an audience setting. So I, I definitely saw that as being a nice output for that and, and being able to kind of contribute to the program in that, that way. So yeah, it was, it was absolutely a, a big factor in, in making the decision. Cool. So I know that you said that you have class after this. Are you working on another degree? I am. Uh, so I'm actually taking classes towards a uh, master's of public health and health systems and policy. Oh, cool. Okay. How many classes are you able to take at a time? It really kind of depends on your team and kind of how much you talk to them. Some of the classes you can kind of take in the afternoon. And if your team will let you have that time, if, you, if you're willing to kind of have that time, you can do that. Right now I'm taking uh, nine, uh, nine credits, not nine courses. You're <laughs> taking three oh, classes? Yeah. But three uh, classes yes. is a lot. So yes. I'm taking uh, three classes. One of them is on Online, which I got very lucky in that I was able to take an online course because that, that helps, especially uh, with the Princeton Pike campus of BMS being so far from the New Brunswick mm -hmm. campus for Rutgers. Anytime I can cut down on that commute, I'm absolutely happy to. So, but yeah, right now I'm juggling about three classes. There are a few other fellows who I think could take up to four at a time, but it, it really is, it's up to you and you, you kind of try whatever your path is. Did you start working on your MPH when you did your fellowship or are you kind of transferring credits from before? When I started my fellowship. So okay. yeah, it was something that I was looking into a little bit, and then I did the application and everything and heard back and figured, you know, I, I, why not? Got to learn something new every day. Are you on track to finish in two years? Uh, yes, it is absolutely possible for me to finish in two years. Uh, I'm kind of taking a look at a, a few things and deciding if I want to maybe take a little bit longer for it. For me, a little bit of a, a quality of life, dedicating a little bit more time to some other sort of things. Of course. So we'll have to see. It, it's a lot of juggling whatever the schedules may be and class registration for next semester hasn't come up yet. So I'm, I'm waiting to see what the schedules could look like. And how do you balance all of this work, life, school? Coffee. Um, <laughs> we're going to be totally honest. Uh, no, it's um, with my last year of pharmacy school, and I'm embarrassed that it took me that long to really start developing time management skills. I never used like a calendar or anything, but now I just cannot function unless something is on my calendar and my calendar is on my phone. And it, it's I, I basically live, breathe and, and die by whatever is on my calendar is what I am doing at that time. So, of course, there's always got to be a little bit of wiggle room and you have to be prepared for when life throws you a curveball and everything. But it's all about making sure that you have a nice balance and that everything is in order. So. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it is really useful to have a calendar and have a to-do list and be able to kind of prioritize things and cross things off. But I think what you said is super crucial is you have to be able to be flexible or else I think you'll just get too stressed out. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I've, uh, I found that even consolidating time. Uh, so as I mentioned, like I, I don't like my commute. You know, you can be in the car for about an hour and a half, depending on New Jersey traffic. What I found is that, you know, whether it be taking a meeting from the car or something like that, or that's a lot of times that I call my wife is when I'm commuting and then kind of continue the conversation whenever I get there. But it, it, it's stuff like that where it's already time that I've got allotted. If I can do something productive in that time, I'm more than happy to. And that kind of helps me keep my head straight. So Yeah, that is a rough commute. I, I think I might be the only person in the whole fellowship that walks to work. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah. I'm sure you have the shortest commute <laughs> of all of us. And it's only like a 10 minute walk. But so my preceptor is always like, yep, you're living pretty large. And I'm like, more like I'm living very small. Like... <laughs> Brittany lives in New York. Yeah. For our listeners. Oh, yeah, right, right. So I live in a shoebox. <laughs> I hope it's not going to be too cold this winter because they can be, winters here can be brutal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I considered living in Brooklyn and taking the ferry across and I asked someone about it and they were like, yeah, the ferry's pretty challenging in the winter. <laughs> so that was probably a good call. So, so you have a lot going on, obviously, and a lot to balance. What is a typical day like for you? 
cliche answer that's vastly different day to day, which is what I like. I, I like kind of shifting gears. Typically, I, I get pretty packed with uh, meetings. Usually in the afternoon is when I get a little bit heavier. Try and get in a little bit early, get a lot of my work done that, that I, I know I have to keep up to date on. Because uh, what, I, what I really do like is BMS kind of switched to this open office environment, which I think a lot of the other companies are looking into if they haven't already. What I like about it is, you know, when somebody sees me at my desk and they're about to go into a cool meeting or something, it kind of has that. I always tell people, like, if something cool is going on, if you see me around, ask me to, to come into it. That's um, a good idea. And it, it, if it's I, not I'm, cool, look away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If it's like something budgetary, leave it to, leave it to somebody else. No, I'm joking. Uh, but basically, I, I want to get as much different experience as I can. So usually when I'm at my desk, a lot of times I'll be pulled into different things, um, which I enjoy a lot because it's, you know, I can walk into it and have no idea what's going on and walk out of there with a completely new experience that I never would have gotten before. And I think uh, being a fellow kind of affords you that, that opportunity to do that. But my, my typical days, uh, I come in, I usually try and get a lot of work done in the morning. I'll go and what time do you usually get here? It depends on when I get here. <laughs> uh, so I usually try and aim to be here by at least 8.30. On a good day, I'll get here beforehand. Um, on a bad day, I'll be walking in with Dunkin' Donuts, and there's a line at Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> um, and I'll get here a little bit closer to 8.30. But um, usually I come in at about 8.30, try and get as much of like, you know, the work that I have to get done, done, get pulled into whatever meetings, go to whatever meetings they may be. And then in the afternoon, um, that, that tends to be uh, when I'm very meeting heavy. And then after that, at around five o'clock, that's when everybody starts leaving. Uh, as I mentioned, I don't like commutes. So I usually wait a little while to let the traffic die down and try and get a little bit more work done, try and get a jump start on the next day because I figure, yeah, I never know what meetings I'm going to get pulled into. So I try and plan out whatever my next day is going to be. It gets a little bit more interesting on Wednesdays and Thursdays because I do have classes. So I usually have to leave directly from work to go to class because of the commute. Uh, at that point, I'm in class from 6 to 9 p.m. And then I come back home and I start the day. And, do it all over and Do again. it all over again. <laughs> but every day is basically different. It's nice to hear that you like the open office concept because we, our office is cubes and I think we are moving to an open office oh, for a plan and I am dreading it, honestly. Yeah. I and love I having a cube. we only know the cubes. Right. But yeah, it is and nice. Yeah, and I don't know the cubes. We've yeah. always had the open I don't know. I, I like it. it. It definitely, I can see why people, I guess, wouldn't like it. It does get noisy sometimes. Uh, there is a little bit of distraction. Personally, I, I like it a lot. I think it opens up for a lot more collaboration and then I've gotten pulled into a lot more projects because it's been People know that I'm there and they can be walking by and be like, Dylan, you should check this out. So. And so do you have like an assigned desk or is it totally open? Like just sit oh, no, down no, yeah, I, I do have an assigned desk. I'm still working on personalizing to make sure that people know it's mine. <laughs> I'm getting there. I'm getting there. But then we also have these, uh, we're actually sitting in one of them. They're called huddle rooms or enclaves. And if you do need a little bit more privacy, if you need to have kind of a small group discussion, uh, we have these little touch pads on the door that you can reserve the room for about a half hour or 45 minutes and, and just go in and have your meeting right there. So. Or if you need to record a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Record a podcast, yeah. <laughs> well, we actually witnessed one of the, I guess, cons of working in the open office. We saw a guy watching a video of peeling a potato. <laughs> Oh, well, hey. <laughs> which was interesting. <laughs> he was probably on his lunch break. <laughs> yeah, I'll be really sad to lose the cubes because my apartment is so small that I actually store a lot of stuff in my cube. So <laughs> out of shoes. I think I have like eight pairs of shoes in my oh, cube. Geez. So I don't know where those are going to go. <laughs> It'll be interesting. So what's your favorite memory of the fellowship so far? Ooh, uh, that is a very great question. Honestly, I I, I really enjoyed Find. Um, I know that that's kind of like pre-fellowship, but Find was probably like one of my favorite things that, that I, I've done in regards to like the Rutgers Fellowship because you go there and it's, it's a great opportunity to meet new people and learn a, a lot about the different programs. So I... 
you know, I went up to programs that I wasn't even considering. I was like, hey, what, what, what is this? And, uh, I found out. What's a whole, your deal? <laughs> I mean, I didn't know that, but yeah. I, I went up and I was like, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit new to the whole regulatory affairs space. You know, could you tell me a little bit about what your day to day is? And kind of getting that insight into it, um, I really enjoyed, and it really kind of helped develop a, a more well rounded picture for me. Uh, probably working in the fellowship my favorite memory so far has been um, i actually got to go down to our, our call center which is located down in south carolina and i got to give a presentation on uh, basically the difference between guidelines and fda indications and what they mean for access and through that you know it, it was a great job a great opportunity for for a presentation and the, the feedback that we were getting from it everybody was really engaged and they were asking a lot of really great questions and it was it was so it felt good that like you know all the work that i poured into this was paying off because this was something that people were interested in so Cool. For candidates listening, FIND this year is November 17th at the new Rutgers School of Pharmacy. So as Dylan said, it's a really fun event, so you should definitely check it out. Do you have any non-pharmacy related hobbies? I like to travel as much as I can. Unfortunately, I I don't get to do it quite as often as I would like to, but a little bit past it now, but within my last year of pharmacy school, I think I, I went to about 12 national parks in the course of like eight months. So it was all kind of by accident. I ended up spending some time on uh, an IHS rotation down in New Mexico and we got to drive around and everything like that. I'm not super outdoorsy, so I, I don't have like the great gear, but like I did hike down the Grand Canyon and died on the way back up. <laughs> I went as a kid and I remember how horrible it was trying to climb back up because you can, can run down. Yeah. yeah. So when I went back as an adult with my husband, I was like, I don't want to go any further than this. He's like, we've only gone like two steps. I'm like, yeah, but we got to go two steps back yep. up. It's terrible. I've got signs everywhere that say down is optional, up is mandatory. And it's it's very true. When you're walking back up, you're feeling it. It's, yeah. But it, it was great. Um, I've had some really, really cool experiences through it. Uh, if you ever find yourself wanting to get a white sands, if you can manage it, I would highly recommend going when there's a full moon. Uh, we ended up doing it by accident because somebody had told us around the area when we were there that this was happening. On a full moon, White Sands is in New Mexico, and it, it's white sand, basically. It's all gypsum. And there are these huge dunes, and you can sled down them, which is totally weird, and get very badly sunburned like I did. Um, <laughs> but when there's a full moon, because of the elevation of the, the, the area, the white sand, and the light from the moon, it reflects off of the white sand, and you get to go out uh, very late into the night, which was an absolutely wow. incredible experience. That sounds awesome. But, that sounds beautiful. Yeah, if it's a clear night and it's a full moon... Highly recommended. But so that's what I like to do. I like to, to kind of check out new places. Unfortunately, uh, my wife and I are living apart because she's doing a PhD with UNC down in Chapel Hill. Oh, um, you know, I went to UNC, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's uh, a lot of my weekends, I guess, are, are me traveling down there to, to see her and spend time with her as often as I can. So I guess that still counts as travel, right? I mean, it's different for yeah. me. So We have to talk about this more afterwards yeah. to figure out what restaurants you're going to. Hey, but I, any, any recommendations would be... <laughs> So if you had one piece of advice to give to the candidates listening, what would it be? Ask questions. You know, look into opportunities that you've never even considered before. Keep an open mind. I, you know, I alluded to it before with Find being like one of my favorite things. It, it really is. You, you've got this whole network, as especially as a student. You, you have basically the world at your fingertips to ask and do whatever it is you want to. So seek out opportunities, ask questions, and definitely don't be afraid to put yourself out there for something that might seem a little bit different or something that, that you think is a little bit out of reach. And our favorite question, what's your embarrassing story? Jeez. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we were talking on the elevator about this, that like, you know, my whole, 
my entire life is an embarrassing story. I'm not embarrassed by it, but I feel like it's just one embarrassing story after another. Probably the one that is like so ingrained in my mind is uh, back when I was younger, I was a, a theater kid. Um, so I, I did a lot of like musical theater and stuff like that. I was in a production of Honk, the story of the ugly duckling. And sure enough, I was the kid who played the ugly duckling. Um, you played the before and someone else played the after? No, they let me do both. They okay. let me do both. Um, which is where this comes in. this comes into play. So there's this great scene where like, it's like cold and stormy and da, da 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 and then you know you run off stage and you're supposed to get changed in your swan costume because like when you emerge you're like oh my gosh i'm beautiful now and you know during all the dress rehearsals we kept being told yeah yeah it's gonna get here it's gonna get here and we didn't have like the actual costume so opening night comes and you know i run off stage and this is like the fastest costume change i've like ever had in my entire life and i go to put the pants on and i could have fit three of me in those pants. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so i was like we just have to keep going because i don't have any other <laughs> pants to wear so we go out on stage and it's like this whole big thing and the entire like rest of the show i had to do like holding my pants up in the front and then like completely <laughs> sagging down in the back um and of course, there was like a, a big scene where I had to do a big twirl and I just tried to get through it as quick as possible. So it was, uh, yeah, I know, it was pretty great. Really funny. Yeah. <laughs> if you pretend like everything's okay, nobody notices that anything's wrong. So I'm picturing the like long johns that have like the, the butt that with the buttons that opens. Uh, that's how I'm picturing this. That's, that's kind of what it was. It was, uh, they were bright white pants. <laughs> it was a whole white suit and the pants were just way too big. And in the front, I was just holding them up. And in the back, they were like down to like my knees. So we have an Instagram account that goes with this podcast. And if you have a picture of this outfit, oh, we would love to share it. I think I burned myself. <laughs> I'm never going to be completely honest. I'll have to see. I'll have to see. I used to have a lot more hair. Um, that's uh, I used to have a big red fro as well. So I guess that's another embarrassing story. So a lot of my childhood pictures, I keep hey, in a box for a reason. Some people so. have made the red fro work. Richard Simmons, I mean, he does yeah, it. I mean, Ronald McDonald is one I always get. So, and, you know, I'm. <laughs> it's a good company to be in. I really don't know. But. <laughs> well, Dylan, this has been really enjoyable for us. Thank you no, so it's much. Been, it's for, been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thank I appreciate you. you thinking of me. Guys, if you like what you heard, please go on iTunes, rate, review, subscribe.